Judges uh, chapter 10. Let's see, last Wednesday night, we were back in chapter 9, and we went 57 or 58 verses. That was, uh, that was rushed. We're going to go a little more slowly tonight. Sister Raphael was tempted to go about that many verses again tonight. And I said, you know what, let's, let's take it a little more slowly tonight. That'll be, that'll be fine, right? Um, go ahead and uh, mark this place, if you would. And uh, I think I have one more place I want you to look. Uh, yes, mark this place, and then go back to Deuteronomy 30, please. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Actually, want to see a couple of verses there before we begin tonight. Back in Deuteronomy 30, uh, this is really an important um, part of what we see uh, here in the book of Judges. The Lord's correction, brother, art of His people for their disobedience, um, is part of the covenant the Lord made with His people uh, back through uh, back through Moses. And you see that here, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, beginning here in verse 16. Let's just see a few verses here. Uh, here the Bible says, and this is the Lord's message to the people here uh, back in the time of Moses. It says, in that I command thee uh, this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that or so that thou mayest live and multiply and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So you see here that the Lord promised a blessing to the nation of Israel under the law, under the covenant that was made here in the time of Moses. Part of his covenant with the people, with the nation, was that in the land God would bless them if they would obey him. That's the positive side of the covenant. Look at verse 17. He says, But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not fear, but shall be drawn away, and worship after other gods, that sounds familiar, and serve them, that sounds familiar too. He says, I denounce unto you this day that ye, shall all of them, shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan, to go to possess it. So you see here, uh, this is what God promised the people. It's part of his covenant with the nation before they came into the promised land. God said, listen, you get in there, you, you obey and do right, I will bless you. But he said, if you disobey, if you turn away from me and take up other gods and serve them, I will withdraw my blessing and I will chasten you. Um, have we seen that along the way here? We have seen that, right? Uh, we have seen that. Now, there's a question, and I want you to be considering this question tonight. Um, does this same aspect of God's covenant with Israel, with the nation of Israel under the law, um, is this technically for God's people today, or is this part of God's covenant with the nation under the law? Um, as I've said often, I mean, there's, there's a general principle. God will bless obedience, and, and he may chasten or correct his people when we're, when we're disobeying him. But are we living under the law? First of all, are we the nation of Israel? Anybody? Are we the nation of Israel? We're not. And are we living under the law? Are we living under the old covenant, Brother Art? Praise God, we're not. <laughs> uh, praise God, we're not. 
Um, I'm thankful tonight that, you know, God today, uh, Christians living not under law but under grace, we know a lot more mercy than we deserve, right? And we know a lot more blessings than we deserve. We're not living under the law. We're not living under this covenant. I do think, again, there's this principle that generally God will bless as we obey. And as we disobey or draw back from him, you, you could reasonably expect more correction, loving correction. But it's not an old covenant, Old Testament. God says, listen, if you stray, you know, I'm coming. You're, there's going to be correction. We are living... Uh, not under the law, but in a time of grace. So it's one of the things I've been wanting to bring out as we, as we study through the judges. Yes, there's this principle that we still see today, but it is a little bit different and certainly not, uh, not the legalism and not the covenant that was part of the Old Testament law. So, hey, there's something to praise God for tonight. Uh, we know a lot more grace and a lot more mercy uh, than we deserve, and certainly a lot more than God promised he would extend if the people were disobedient uh, under the law uh, in the Old Covenant. So why don't you see that, and I want you to keep that in mind as we jump into uh, chapter, uh, chapter 10 tonight. Now, I've lost my place, so you'll have to bear with me. I told you to keep your place, uh, both of them, but I did not do that, Brother Art. You may have to come up here, Brother Art, and find it for me. <laughs> Hopefully that won't be necessary. Judges chapter 10 tonight. So uh, you recall that in chapter 9 we saw this pretty unpleasant account, uh, Brother Garcia, of this man Abimelech and his wickedness and uh, the wickedness that he drew the men of Shechem into, uh, basically drew them into his desire to become a king and, and, and reign over them and uh, to rule over them, and even at the expense of the death of 69 of his 70 half-brothers, uh, great wickedness. I mean, just tremendous wickedness. Um, we saw the Lord um, exercise great justice um, at the end of chapter 9 in that the Lord dealt with that man. An unrepentant Abimelech and unrepentant men of Shechem, they, they received you know, this side of death, the, the corrective hand of God, and really the ultimate judgment, uh, seems that, that all of them died. That was, that was the, the justice of God very much in view. And, and we made the application that, boy, uh, what a reminder, what a reminder that God is a just God and that people who don't get saved will face a just God uh, at the great white throne judgment, and they'll, they'll be punished in eternity. Uh, because of their sin and because of God's justice. Yes, he's a loving God, but uh, he's also a just God, and he has a wrath at sin, and sin that's not addressed by the blood of Christ. There's, there's going to be justice and, and wrath and, and hell to follow. So, you know, we made that application that we, we should be reminded how important it is to share the gospel because the God that we saw carry out wrath and justice here in chapter 9, the same God that will do that at, at the end of days. So, uh, Lord, give us a heart to share the gospel with whomever we can uh, and to do our part. Now, I'm pleased to report that uh, we see better news. We see uh, better tidings here, uh, at least for a little bit of time, and, and I hope this will be an encouragement tonight. I want you to um, consider, we're going to see just in the first few verses here tonight, there's a very brief account of the next two judges 
uh, and it really only takes up three, four verses. That, that's, all, that's all that it takes. And there's not a lot of information given. Uh, there's not a lot of information given. These two judges will see Tola uh, and Jair or Jair. Um, together, they serve for 45 years. Uh, it's the two times that are given, totaled up. Uh, they serve for 45 years. But I want you to notice, as we look at these several verses, what's missing from the account of these two judges versus or compared to what we've seen in the last cycles. As we've, as we've come through these several cycles uh, up to this point, consider what we've seen in those cycles and then what's given here. There's a difference. There's a big difference. So I want us to spend the bulk of our time tonight considering the difference and kind of what might explain uh, the difference. So you think about that. And I'm going to read these uh, first four verses. So first, uh, in Judges 10, in verses 1 and 2, we see Tola. Uh, the Bible says here, Judges 10, 1, after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel, that sounds good, Tola, the son of Pua, uh, the son of who? Who is it? Zach? Dodo. I don't know if she's listening tonight, but maybe. Uh, a man of Issachar, he dwelt in Shechem, in Mount Ephraim, and he judged Israel. How long does it say? Uh, Twenty and three years. Uh, how long is that, Brother Art? Twenty and three years? Twenty-three years, right? Uh, and he died and was buried in Shamir. That's all it says about him. That's it. That's it. He dwelt in Shamir. He, he died after he judged. He served for 23 years. He died. He's buried in the same place. All right, so that's, that's all we have. Uh, one little interesting tidbit here, he's the only judge for whom the father and grandfather both are given. And I don't know why that is, but that's, that's interesting to consider. Maybe you have some theories about that. You come and talk to me about that if you do. I'm not sure why that might be. Um, okay, so let's see now the next two verses. We see uh, Jair, Jair. Uh, the Bible says here in verse 3, And after him, after Tola arose Jair, a Gileadite, and judged, he judged Israel 20 and 2 years. So 20 and 2, uh, plus before we had 20 and 3, Zach, that's 45, right? 45 years together. Okay, 45 years together. We have a little bit of information here about his family, and this must be significant in verse 4 because the Holy Spirit has seen fit to include this. So let's see what it says. Uh, of Jair, the Bible says in verse 4, he had how many sons, church? I can ask you questions now because you're here. Carol, when you were home, you didn't answer. Or if you did, I could not hear you. you. You should have called me or texted me, sister. Pastor, I heard your question. The answer is 30. The answer is 30 sons. He had 30 sons that rode on 30 ass colts. Uh, and they, the 30 sons, had 30 cities, uh, which are called Havoth Jair. Zach, do you have any theory as to what Havoth Jair might mean. Um, well, you see the man's name there, right? Jair. So he had 30 sons that had 30 cities, and those 30 cities are called Havoth Jair, the villages of, of Jair. That's, that's what the Hebrew is. So you, you have Hebrew transliterated there. I like to joke, Marilyn, if you can read that right there, you can read Hebrew, because just the Hebrew brought straight into English. There's, it could have been translated villages of Jair, but it's, it's just it's brought straight into English. Uh, Under this day, uh, which are in the land of Gilead, 
And then verse 5 simply says, and Jair died and was buried in Kamon. That's it. Now, um, what's different? What's different here in the description of these two judges uh, versus the other judges and the cycles of history that we have kind of come through a number of times with each uh, we see the people sin and we see them uh, be chastised through the Lord, raising up an enemy who oppresses them, sometimes for a long time and sometimes very difficultly, uh, very harshly, at least from our perspective. And the people finally repent and God raises up a judge and um, they are rescued from the consequences. Of their you don't see that here, do you? It's not here. Uh, it's not here. Um, at the end of the account of Abimelech, um, you see God has dealt with Abimelech rather finally. It, well, he, he's going to be dealt with again at the throne. Um, and the, the men of where? Shechem. I think I confused Japheth and Shechem a few times last week. If you heard me confuse those or mix those up, you knew what I meant. Um, you don't see you don't see sin here you don't see correction you see a judge he dwells he dies you see a judge you see a judge that has been blessed with 30 sons and they rode on 30 asses and and that implies some wealth and position um, it seems to picture blessings as well. They had 30 sittings, I, uh, cities. I, I think that picture is blessings. There's different theories about that. Um, and then uh, the second judge here, he died uh, and he was buried. Uh, there's no mention of idolatry. There's no mention of idolatry. It's not here, at least not recorded. Uh, there's no mention of the Lord's chastening through oppression by enemies. At least it's not recorded. Brother Art God has seen fit to record it with the other judges. Uh, it's not mentioned. Instead, it appears that this um, two periods of time, 23 and, and 22, 45 years, uh, it looks like it's a time of peace. It looks like it's a time of peace. And it looks like it's a time of blessings. This man has many sons, and they seem to have some wealth. They have cities. Uh, it, it looks like a time of blessing. So, Marilyn, let's assume for a minute that it is that. Now, it's possible there was some idolatry, but God hasn't recorded it. It's possible there was some correction, but God has not recorded that here. What the Holy Spirit has recorded here is what looks like peace, a period of peace, and what looks like a time of blessing. What would explain that? What would explain that? What would explain that? Any theories? Everybody's kind of looking like this. I don't, no, I, I, I think you probably know. Uh, what led to the Lord correcting people in the earlier chapters? What led to that? What was it? Well, disobedience led the Lord to have to correct them, right? Right, and then they got corrected, um, and then they repented, and they got obedient, and the Lord blessed them. When they were disobedient, the Lord corrected them. And it's exactly consistent with what we saw back in Deuteronomy 30 in verse 16. God said, listen, if, if 
you get into that land and, and you stick with me and you love me and you serve me and you obey me, there'll be, there'll be blessings. And one of the blessings, no doubt, is peace. But he said, you turn to other gods, you turn away from me. That necessarily involves turning away from him. You serve them. There's going to be correction. And that correction will go on until you repent. That was at least implied by that part of the covenant that God made with the nation under the law back in Deuteronomy 30. Now, I think if I view this passage here through the lens of the covenant of Deuteronomy 30 and through the lens of what we've seen in other passages, uh, I think you have a period here of, of relative obedience. It would seem to be that, at least. This would be a theory, but uh, it would seem to be a time of relatively greater obedience. And because of that, the Lord is carrying out that positive part of his covenant from Deuteronomy 30, and he's blessing. He's blessing them with peace, blessing uh, at least some with, with prosperity, sons and sons who are prosperous and cities and so forth. Uh, that's, that's what I believe I see here. Now, uh, Brother Art, I think that's right. I, I think that's right. I think that explains why these two passages are here at all. I think, by the way, it would be easy to skip over these if you were just reading through and you're kind of just reading through on the way to the next chapter, which is kind of a, a, you know, one of those title chapters, if you will, uh, headliner chapters. You could easily just skip over this and say, boy, I'm not sure why those verses are even there. But I, they're, they're important. God put them here for a reason. And I believe they record pretty plainly that God is faithful to the covenants he makes with his people. Uh, he's faithful to keep the positive side. He's, he, he's faithful to keep the negative side. Uh, he's faithful to bless where he's promised to bless. And he's, he's faithful to correct if he's promised to correct. God's faithful. Uh, he's faithful to do what he says he will do. And I think that's one of the great lessons of, of the book of Judges. He said he would correct. He said he would bless. We've seen him correct. We've seen the people repent. We've seen him bless. Right here you have a 45-year stretch of what looks like peace and blessing. Praise God. Uh, praise God. If you're looking for things to praise God about, as we've been kind of building our list on Sunday nights, right, in, in these recent weeks, you, you can put something like this right onto your list. Praise God that he's faithful. He's, he's faithful to keep the covenants that he makes with his people. He's faithful to correct. He's faithful to bless. Uh, he's faithful God. He did exactly what he said he would do. That encourages me. Um, uh, what does it mean for me today? Am I Israel? No, I'm not. Neither are you. Christians are not Israel. We don't believe in replacement theology. We don't believe that. Uh, the church, the quote-unquote church, has not replaced Israel in God's plan. Don't think the Bible teaches that at all. Read Revelation. It's pretty clearly not true. Um, so we don't, we don't identify with Israel literally. But we can take great encouragement in the fact that God was faithful to Israel and he's faithful to us too. Our God has promised uh, me eternal life from the moment I placed my faith in Christ. That humble, repentant faith that I put upon Christ when I was a little 10-year-old brat. <laughs> I was saved from that moment. I had eternal life from that moment. God began working on me that day, still working on me, of course. 
He's been faithful to do that all the way along. He's been faithful to keep me saved all the way along. You understand I haven't deserved that most of the time, right? Sister Raffi knows that. Oh, I know that, Pastor. <laughs> uh, you understand that. I've not deserved that most of the time, and I'll never deserve that. But he's kept me saved, and he'll keep me saved, and, and that'll be forever. He's faithful. He's a God who's faithful to the covenants that he makes with his people. Uh, praise God tonight. We're living under a new covenant. It's, it's different. It's grace. Uh, it's grace, and it's grace that's made possible by Christ and the cross and uh, the covenant that God has made with us through Christ and his shed blood. He'll not break it. He never has, and he never will. And that's, that's encouraging tonight. When you can't trust anybody else, you can sure trust the Lord and his promises. I haven't been able to ask you this recently, I don't think, with some people in the room. Has God broke a promise to you lately? Brother Ray, you got a couple? Shout them out. God hasn't broken a promise to you ever, has he? He's not going to. He's faithful. And praise God for that. Well, let's move on here. Um, verse 6. Verse 6. Um, unfortunately, the, the pendulum of the account swings back now. Uh, the people do fall back into sin. And, and God is getting a little more fed up now. <laughs> He's done an awful lot. He's been very gracious. He's been terribly merciful. He's been very faithful. Uh, but he has uh, had a little bit more than enough here, Brother Art. Let's, let's see that here, because he, he is faithful to keep both sides of his promises. Verse 6 says this. It says, the children of Israel and the children of Israel did what? They did evil again. Why does it say again? Well, they keep cycling back and forth. They did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Please remember that when we sin, whether it's something that someone else could see or it's in your mind or your heart, God can see it. It's not secret. There's no such thing as secret, private sin. God can see it all. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, false god, and Ashtoreth, false god. And, and, and this is almost, I almost can't read this. It's almost too horrible to read. They just heap idols upon idols upon idols. Serve Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon uh, and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines. Could you imagine? Um, and what? And what? Forsook who? The Lord. And served not him. Brother, isn't it amazing? They, they go after these idols and those idols and that idol and this idol and this idol. But there's no room there for the Lord. There's no room. It's because they understand you can't go after these idols and still be faithful to the Lord. Even people who are you know, neck deep in sin, they understand that. They understand that's inconsistent with being faithful to the Lord. They've got all these gods from all these places, but they've pushed out the Lord because even in their sin, even in all this false worship, they understand God's not for this and there's no place for him in this false worship. Zach, think about this for a second. How is it possible that after 45 years of blessing, and I think that's what we see here. Let's assume for a minute that we know that for sure. But after 45 years of blessings, 
How do they suddenly fall so far so fast? How's that possible? How's that possible? Let me ask you this tonight. Um, have you known times of, of blessing where things have been relatively easier? Have you known times like that? Things have been relatively easier and God's just been blessing and, you know, maybe there's some little trials, but, you know, it seems like things have been going pretty well for time and, and maybe that time goes on for a while. You know, it just seems like things are going okay. Things are going okay. What starts to happen sometimes when things are just going great, Sister Janet? <laughs> what starts to happen sometimes when things are just going great, Brother Ray? Uh, sometimes you just start to slip away, right? You start to feel less like you need the Lord. You know, everything's going great. You start to feel, even if you don't quite form the thought, you start to kind of think and act and your heart starts to wander from the certainty of knowing that you're reliant upon the Lord for everything to beginning to kind of settle into a mode where, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just okay. I don't, I don't need to rely upon the Lord as much as I used to. Start to get a little bit more like some of the people that we meet at doors in the area. No, we're good, Pastor. We're, we're fine. We're good. We're good. We, we have what we need. You start to kind of fall into that mode when things are going just great. And I, I wonder, I don't know, Brother Garcia, but I, I wonder if that's what happened here. Everything was going great. God was blessing. There were no trials that really, none that rec are recorded at least, for 45 years. That's a little while, right? That's a little while. 45 years into that, they haven't been challenged by trials to draw close to the Lord. They, you know, they, haven't been, they maybe had or felt like they needed to be down on their knees constantly and drawing close to God because things were hard and they knew they were, as they experienced the difficulties, they knew they had to go to God and, and rely upon him for everything. It doesn't look like they necessarily experienced those things. Everything was just kind of okay. And maybe materially it was, there was peace, there were, it looks like there, were, there was material blessings as well, but they were slipping spiritually. I don't think they just woke up one day and said, let's serve Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and Zion and Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of Philistine, the Philistines and let's just forsake the Lord. No, you kind of slip there little by little over time, I would say. They serve not the Lord. Brother Art, I've been thinking about this this afternoon, the context in which these people, we find them suddenly, in, I mean, deeper in idolatry than maybe we've seen them before. And the fact that it comes right on the heels of good times. And... I, I've just had this thought throughout the day. Um, Lord, thank you for the trials. <laughs> thank you for the hard times that remind us how much we are dependent upon you. And thank you for the difficulties that cause us to pray. And thank you for the, the, just the, the trials that remind us of how much we are dependent upon you, Lord, how much we need you, 
Lord, thank you for those things that encourage us to stay close to you rather than just slipping away from you back into the world, eventually sinking into the quicksand of worldly idolatry all over again. Are trials the worst thing that could happen to you, church? Trials are not the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen is everything would just be great. You forget you need the Lord and just start slipping back into the world again. That's about the worst thing. Brother Ray, I don't know if I could think of a worse thing that could happen to a Christian. What about someone gets sick and dies? I don't know. They're home with the Lord. I don't think that's the worst thing that could happen. I understand that doesn't sound like the best thing either. I get that. But to just feel like everything's good and so I forget I need the Lord and I slip and I slip and I slip back into the world until... I'm really indistinguishable from the world. I think that's about the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. Um, see the consequences here. And, and it's a little surprising. You know, in the past, the people said, you know, hey, God, we're sorry. And God said, all right, here's a judge, and he'll raise, uh, uh, deliver you from the consequences of your sin. And, of course, that picture's Christ. We've said many times God has a little more to say here. He's going to try them a little bit more. He's not happy, to say the least. You see the consequences in verse 7. The Lord was angered. The Bible says in verse 7, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He's steaming. He's, he's great wrath at this sin. He's not just a little disappointed here. There's a wrath, a hot wrath against this depth of sin. And so the Lord sends forth correction again. This is what he's promised. You've got to be faithful to the, the corrective side of the covenant made back in Deuteronomy 30. Lord gave them over to the Philistines and to Ammon, uh, seven, second part of verse 7. He, the Lord, sold them into the hands of the Philistines. Now, he didn't literally take them down to you know, the center square and sell them. He gave them over into the hands of the Philistines. He allowed the Philistines to come and come over them and, and oppress them uh, and into the hands of the children of Ammon. Remember, these are worshiping these people's gods. Uh, Israel is vexed and oppressed, the Bible says, for 18 years. In verse 8, that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel, the Philistines and the children of Ammon. They vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. They ruled over them and, you know, treated them like people that were ruled over. They oppressed them for 18 years. I'll bet those 18 years seemed a lot longer than those 45 years. Brother Art, when things are great, time just flies by, right? But when things are hard, it's like every second of the clock, tick, tick, tick. Uh, you're laying in the hospital bed, you start watching the clock, tick, tick, tick. The ticks get further apart, don't they? Uh, I'll bet these 18 years seemed a lot longer than those 45 years. Uh, all the children of Israel that were on the other side of Jordan, land of Amorite, which is in uh, Gilead, you see Ammon launch a military campaign here against tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. It's not getting better. Moreover, verse 9, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin. 
and against the house of Ephraim. So that Israel was what? What does it say? What does it say there? Sore distressed. You say that, Brother Garcia? Pastor, I got this ache. Man, I'm sore distressed. No, we don't say that, but we know what it means. It was a bad time. It wasn't the good times of those 45 years. This is a bad time. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. Well, after 18 years, the people confess. Verse 10, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee. Both because, and they get very specific in their confession, both because we have forsaken our God, number one, and also serve Balaam. Lord, we've forsaken you, we confess that. And, and Lord, we've, we've taken up Balaam and, and we've served him instead, we confess that. That's a good specific confession. I don't know if they confessed all of the gods, Brother Art, where they say Balaam. They had lots of gods they had taken up with. The Lord responds. The Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and the Amorites, from the children of Ammon? Haven't I done that? And from the Philistines? Have we done that before? Zidonians also, the Amalekites, the Maonites did oppress you, and you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. God said, haven't we been here before? Haven't you fallen into idolatry, and I allowed you to be corrected, and after time you cried out, and I delivered you? Haven't we been here before? Of course, the answer is yes. He says, verse 13, yet you have forsaken me, again, and served other gods, again. And then God says this, and Brother Garcia, this is surprising. He says, wherefore, I will deliver you no more. That's what he says. He says, wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Now, did God mean that? I think in that moment he did. You know, God's brother, right, God says what he means, right? In that moment, that's what God said. I will deliver you no more, period. Sin is serious. And allowing yourself to cycle back into the same sin time and time, that's a serious thing. That's a serious thing. God says, I will deliver you no more. And then, Brother Art, as if that's not surprising enough, the Lord says to them in verse 14, he says, Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. So why don't you go cry to Baal and the other gods? You know, they're the ones that you're serving. Go cry to them and let them deliver you. God said that. Now, he knows those other gods are what? They're fake. There could be some demonic power, but God knows that apart from that, those other gods have no real power. Now, children of Israel, what do you do if you're in their place? God said, I've had enough, and you get, you get back to your other gods. What do you do? Well, you could just say, okay. <laughs> um, they did not. They, they were not content that God was done with them. And 
And so they again confess their sin, but there's something different here now. They don't just confess it. Look at verse 15. Children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned, all of us, guilty. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. So they confess again. We're all guilty. And they submit themselves to the Lord. It's different than just saying, hey, we're all guilty. Okay, now God make it right. They, They confess their guilt and they humble themselves before the Lord and, and they basically, in, in humbling themselves, they say, oh, God, you do whatever, do whatever you need to. We deserve whatever you may choose to do to us. We deserve that. That's a great humility. They're greatly humbled right now. And, of course, this is what God intended when he said, I'll deliver you no more. Go back to the other gods. Just shake them up and cause them to see the seriousness of this constant back into sin. They confess again, but not just that. They humble themselves and acknowledge that they deserve to be punished by him. But wait, there's more. Verse 16, this is important. They they truly repent. Remember, biblical repentance is a turning. It's a turning from one thing to another thing. Verse 16 says this, and this is a great illustration of biblical repentance. Verse 16 says, and they put away the strange gods. Say amen, please. This is repentance. They put away the strange gods from among them and did what? What does it say? They serve the Lord. So now they've confessed and they've humbled themselves before the Lord and they've, they've truly repented. They turned away from the disobedience and they serve the Lord. That's repentance. They turn from one thing, one line of action to another line of action. Biblical repentance is a change of mind that produces a change of direction. And boy, this is a wonderful illustration of that. They confess, they humble themselves, and they truly repented. This is what God desired. He didn't want a half-hearted, mostly empty confession with no intention of there being any difference. He wanted humble repentance. By the way, God still wants that today. He wants people, when they come to him for salvation, he wants confession of sin and humble repentance, a turning. That's what he desires. That's what he desires. The Bible says his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Yeah, it was. Uh, He was grieved. But we'll see here that the people having confessed and reconfessed and humbled themselves and repented, God's now got a plan that he'll deal with these enemies. Uh, and we'll see that moving into the next chapter. We're not going to take that on tonight, but we'll see that next chapter. So, again, what you see here tonight is we've seen both sides of that covenant that goes back to Deuteronomy 30, 16, 17, 18. People are pretty obedient. They live in a pretty good time. People get pretty disobedient. God raises up enemies. 18 years of correction, the people confess, 
humble themselves and repent, God's about to deliver them from the consequences of their sin once again. He's a good God. <laughs> He's a good God. He is gracious and he is merciful. He's a good God. Um, I'll say this again tonight. I'm so thankful that we're living under a new covenant, <laughs> uh, a covenant of grace and not one of law. Praise him and thank him for that tonight. I'm thankful tonight that God has proven himself to be faithful to keep whatever covenant he cuts with his people. He kept both sides of the covenant that was detailed during the time of Moses. And he's still keeping the covenants that are in force with his people. Praise God tonight, it's a new one. And it's one built on grace. It's one that's built on grace that's made possible by the blood of Christ. You be thankful for that tonight. You be thankful, please. And we'll stop there and we'll pray. Father, thank you tonight for this passage. Lord, I, I know it's at least the first few verses, one of those passages that we tend to just quickly read over and, and move on to the headliners, but, oh Lord, every verse that you've placed in Scripture is there for a reason. Help us to never forget that. You desire us to read and consider and chew on uh, and to really consider every verse. Lord, I thank you tonight that you are a God who makes covenants and you're a God who keeps covenants. Book of Judges makes that so very clear. You're faithful to do what you say. Lord, I'm so very thankful tonight. I thank you and I praise you that we live today not under that old covenant, under the law as part of the nation, but under a new covenant of grace made possible by the shed blood of our Savior. Lord, thank you so very much. We have much to be thankful for tonight. Lord, of course, that does not afford us a license to sin and live any way you want us, any way we want to. <laughs> You've given us a, a whole New Testament defining a new covenant and your expectations of your people in this age of grace, this time of grace. You've given us liberty from the law, but not liberty to live any old way. You've given us liberty to serve. And Lord, I pray tonight that we have a heart to lead the most sanctified lives that we can so that we're available to serve you out of a heart filled with gratitude. Lord, I thank you for the old covenant. It shows the need for a savior. Thank you tonight that I live under a new covenant, a better one made possible by my Savior. Lord, I pray tonight that you just fill us with the heart of gratitude and you encourage us that you're a God who keeps your word always. Lord, thank you. I love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach has a song. Why don't we stand for the song if you're able to, if you're able to, stretch your legs. Um, after that, we'll have prayer time here. Just remind those that may be watching online, we will not have an online prayer time tonight. Just not practical to do it online when we're here in the building. But you pray at home, please. Uh, if you have the bulletin, um, 
you, you have the prayer list, so I, I ask you, encourage you to pray at home if that's where you are tonight. We'll pray here, you pray at home, and Lord willing, uh, we'll see you here soon. All right, Zach, you come, please. All right, let's stand, take our hymn sheets, turn to higher ground. It's hymn number 447. We'll sing all four verses of higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground. Lord lift me up and let me stand, by faith on heaven's stable land. A higher plane that I have found, Lord plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay Where doubts arise and fiercest may Well, where these abound My prayer, my aim is higher ground Lord, lift me up and let me stand By faith on heaven's table land A higher plane that I have found Lord, plant my feet on higher ground I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand, by faith on heaven's stable land. A higher plane that I have found, or plant my feet on higher ground. And the last I want to scale the utmost height gleam of glory bright but still i'll pray till heaven i found lord lead me on to higher ground lord lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land a higher plane that i have found lord plant my feet on higher ground amen you may be seated